Hey, we're starting here on the top of Chafdala and Aleph. Gemara ended off yesterday discussing the din of Shmuel, which is that a person may place his tefillin under his pillow in order to protect him to watch him at night. Even if his wife is with him. And Rava says that even though we have a Braita that refutes the position of Shmuel, nevertheless, Allah is like Shmuel because that is the better and proper way to watch over and take care of the tefillin. And now the Gemara begins in the top of Chavdalah, where does he place them? Between the mattress or the sheet and the pillow, not opposite his head. So the tefillin are there, they just not, he doesn't lay his head directly on the tefillin, but they're under his pillow, above the mattress, so they can be protected. He places them into the tefillin case, right under his head. So Mar says, the the Morsha, the Kovalabar, he has the bulge, or the placement of the tefillin, outside of the area where his head is. He places them into their bag, the bag is under his pillow, below his head, but the place where the tefillin are inside the bag, that is not opposite where his head is sitting. Barakapara, or the other gear says Rapapa, Bikilta, he used to wrap them up in the canopy or the bed curtain, who may pick the marsham the bar, and make sure that they protruded, or the tefillin themselves were protruding to the outside. He placed them on a stool, Rashi says here, a bench, and then he placed a cloth over them, so therefore they were covered on the bench away from the bed. There's one time that I was being mishamesh tefillin. Go bring him my tefillin. I went and I found his tefillin between his pillow and his mattress. Not opposite his head. I knew that that day was the day his wife went to the mikveh. And he did this in order to teach us that even like Shmuel, the din is that you can place it under your pillow and keep it there as long as it's Shmuel connected with Two people are sleeping in a bed. They're in the bed. They're not necessarily dressed. What is the din with regards to Kriyachma? Can they turn their backs towards each other and then read Kriyachma? So we have another din from Shmuel here. Shmuel says, even if it's his wife, he's allowed to do this. So You want to suggest here, his wife means even his wife and certainly other people. It should be just the opposite. His wife is like an extension of his body. He's used to his wife being there. And therefore, there's no issue of hear-hur. But it's someone else. Maybe there would be a problem. So Shmuel says the din is that if they do not face each other, let's say Kriyachma, that's whether it's his wife or anyone else. According to Rabbi Yosef, that only works with his wife. Then you can put your bodies opposite each other and say Kriyachma. On the other hand, if it's someone else in the bed there, then you could not do that. Meitavei, we have a bright, two people sleeping in a bed. We have another bright that says, person is sleeping in bed, he has his children and his family with him. Should not read Kriyachma unless there is a sheet or a piece of clothing that separates between them. If they are minors, then mutar, then it's totally permissible. According to Yosef's explanation, we can reconcile between these two bright one bright that says you just turn away and you can say Kriyachma. The other bright that necessitates putting some sort of hefseg, some sort of separation between you. Lokash Abishto comes to his wife, he just has to turn his back. 
But when it comes to others, then he has to put in a separation between them. According to Shmuel, it's problematic because Shmuel has his wife and others being the same. So how does he reconcile these brightos? Even according to Yosef, does this brighto work so well? We have another brighto. Now the Bach takes it the Girsa Banav of and he's sleeping in the bed and his family is with him. Now Rashi says Bnei Beito here is Ishto, his wife, which is somewhat difficult because in the previous Brighto we said Bnei Beito was not his wife, it was Banavu Bnei Beito for his family, not including his wife. Tosafot brings an alternative Girsa from Rabbi Yosef to Gersinen, Hayashem Bemita Ishto Yishena Bitsido. Who's sleeping in a bed? His wife is sitting next to him. He cannot turn his face away and read. They need some sort of sheet or clothing that sits between them. So you see over here whether it's explicit that it says his wife, or like Rashi, it's implicit in Bnei Beito. It says here by his wife that it's not sufficient to turn away. You have to put something in between. You have to say over here. According to Yosef, about the wife, that's a machloket tanaim. Because we have two brightot. One bright that says by a wife you could turn away. One bright that says you need to put something in between. So it's clear, according to Yosef, there's a machloket tanaim. And he subscribes to the tana that says that you can turn away. So for me too, the didinami tanaim. So too, I I have the same thing with these other brightot before. One bright that says that ishto and anybody else, you're allowed to turn away. And one tana says that when it's others... You cannot turn away. You have to put something in between. I subscribe to the Tano who thinks that everybody is fine as long as you turn away. So it is a Machloka Tanaim, but I subscribe to specific Tana just like Rav Yosef. So now we're going to go back and investigate this. What about their buttocks? Meaning that it's fine that they've turned their bodies away. They do not see each other. There's no contact between the bodies now. But the backs of the bodies now are in contact. Messiah Ravuna. This helps the position Ravuna. Tam Ravuna. Gavot. Enben Mishum Erva. Buttocks don't have a din of erva over here, so there's no issue of stimulation or hirhur, and that's why they can say kriyachma even though the buttocks are in contact. Let's say that we have another Mishnah that seems to help Ravuna's position. Mishnah from Chala, it says, Aisha Yoshevet, Vekotela Chalata Aruma. Woman who's naked can go ahead and separate the Chala while she is naked. Because she can cover up her erva in the ground. When she sits down, her erva is completely covered by the ground. If that's the case, she can be mafish the chala and she can say the bracha, the shem Hashem, without any problem. But a man cannot do this, because even a man is sitting on the ground, his erva protrudes outwards. And therefore he would see his erva, and it would be inappropriate for him to be mafish chala and say the bracha. So Targum of Nachum what's the case here? The case by the woman is where she's sitting on the ground, naked, and therefore her erva is facing down into the ground, it's completely covered by the ground. If that's the case... What about the buttocks again? No problem. So that's exactly like Ravuna. This Mishnah supports that position of Ravuna that all we worry about is the erva. We do not worry about the buttocks in these cases. Amamar. If the family that's with him in the bed are minors, then it's not a problem from, say, Kriyachma. Bad Kama. Until what age are they considered to be minors? For a female, for a girl, it's up to three years in one day. For a boy, it's up to nine years in one day. That'll be the qualification based on when they are re'uyim the bi'ah, when they can have relations. So for a girl, three years in one day is considered to be the threshold for relations, when she will not have her betulim come back anymore. And for a boy, nine years in one day is considered the threshold for Biyah. We've seen this Allah in Nida and many other places that have ramifications in terms of Arayot. Ikadar may some say the age threshold here is Tinoket bat Yudal Shanav Yomachad. For a girl, it's 11 years in one day. For a boy, it's 12 years in one day, meaning a year preceding their Bar Mitzvah. 
And both of these are Kadesha Daim Nachonu Usarech Simeach. It is the time period when the breasts begin to be fashioned or developed. Usarech Simeach. And the hair has sprouted. I mean, it's the beginning of the age of puberty. And therefore at that point already it's not appropriate to say Kriyat Shema facing them that you have to turn away. Under that age, it's not a problem. In the previous case, with filling under the pillow, even though his wife was with him in bed, Rabbi said, Even though we have a bright that refutes Shmuel's position, In our case here, we also have Shmuel saying that whether it's Ishto or Acher, doesn't matter, you just turn away from them and you can say, What's the din? We have a bright also that goes against that, even though when it's a machloket tanaim, you can say, I hold like one tana, not the other. What's the din of here? Wait a minute, are all of these woven in a single weave? Meaning, each halacha is separate, each din is separate. Why are you trying to extrapolate a statement of Rava by one din of Shmuel to a din over here when they have nothing to do with each other? Wherever Rava said halacha is like Shmuel, that's when he said it. If we don't have a member from Rava about this member of Shmuel, it has no bearing. We can't just extrapolate that Rava says it looks like Shmuel over there, so therefore it's like that, like Shmuel over here. If he has pubic hair that are protruding out of the hole of his baguette, what's the din? Can you read Kriyat Shmuel not? He said to him, ah, it's hair, it's hair. Meaning, as Rashi points out over here, it's not meaningful, it's irrelevant, it's insignificant. You don't have to worry about that. So now the Gemara moves on to an issue of Arayot, which says, Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, Tefach Erva. The Tefach in a woman is classified as an Erva. Lemai, what is this din for? Ilem listukule ba. If it's to look at a woman, you can't look even at a Tefach of the Erva of a woman. Why did the Torah, when it comes to the battle with Midian, when they bring back all the jewelry of the woman and the clothing of the woman, and they donate that as a kapara for the sin by Baal Pu'or. Why does it mention both internal and external jewelry? As Rashi points out, whether it's talking about bracelets or something that they wore, connected the Makoma Erva, all those items are mentioned together. So teach person who looks at even the pinky of a woman, it's as if they're looking directly at the Erva. person may not look at a woman in order to derive Hana or benefit or have Hirurim about her. Ella, so then what's Tevak Bishar Erva significant for? Bishto Ulu Kriyat Shema. That's for his wife and Kriyat Shema. That's to teach you, number one, Kriyat Shema cannot be said Kenegad Erva. We know that because it says Lo Yer Erva Davar. So we know that already that Kriyat Shema may not be said Kenegad Erva. Number two we learn is that Ishto, even by his wife, anything that's classified as an Erva is problematic in terms of Kriyat Shema. That's whether it's someone else or his wife. So his wife as well will be a problem. How much erva must be exposed? So that's a tefak erva. To the amount of a tefak that's exposed, that causes a problem for Kriyat Shema with his wife. Amar of Chista, Shok erva. When it comes to, now Shok, the definition or the more generally accepted definition of Shok is a thigh. According to some of the Rishonim, Shok might refer to the calf as well. So that is considered to be an erva and cannot be exposed in the woman. Shinemar, because the Pesach says in Shayel, Gali Shok Ivri, Narot, you will expose your thigh in order to cross over the rivers. Uchtiv in the subsequent pasuk says that your nakedness has been revealed, and your shame has now been seen. So in the next pasuk, the subsequent pasuk says that exposure, that lifting up to cross the rivers, was an exposure of erva. 
So that's why it's classified as an erva. Amar Shmuel says, Kol Isha erva. The voice of a woman is classified to be an erva. Shinemar, Koleich Harev, Umarech Naveh. Because your voice is sweet and melodious, Umarech Naveh. And your appearance is alluring. So you see from the fact that the Torah praises this in the woman, this is from Shira Shirim, in describing the woman, it says these are the beautiful features of this woman. Plus, it connects it to the appearance of the woman. You see that that has an aspect of erva or alluring to it. So Rav should say, erva, the hair of a woman is considered to be an erva. In the same thing in Shira Shirim, it gives praise to the hair of the woman like that of a flock of goats. So over here, it's less clear what the meaning is, but again, the fact that the Shira Shirim praises the woman for this, sounds like that this is a feature of the woman that is attractive and alluring, and therefore it's a problem of erva. Now there is a makhlukat rishonim here as to this piece of Gemara, whether it's only referencing Kriyat Shema, or this is a broader issue of erva. That these dinim that are mentioned here apply across the board, and when we deal with arayot, or exposure, or covering of the woman, this is the din across the board, or is this simply a din in Kriyachma? And all these dinim are unique to Kriyachma, have nothing to do with Arayot outside of Kriyachma. And because of the restriction of saying Kriyachma in front of these Arayot, therefore you have to, or is this unique to Kriyachma because it's a Davar Shemikdusha and requires one to be focused and of Yishuvadat and not be distracted with anything else? And these dinim are unique to Kriyachma. That's number one. The second thing to consider over here is this idea of Tevach Visha Erva. Now Tevach Visha Erva is again, is that unique to Kriyachma or is that a din that applies to all Erva? Meaning the exposure of all Erva is only considered an exposure if there's a Tevach appearing. Less than a Tevach is not considered to be exposure in the cases. Obviously, we wouldn't say, oh, play around with this and get less than a tefach out because then it won't be an erva. But if it's less than a tefach, it won't be classified as an erva. This has nafkamina, for instance, with hair. If a woman covers her hair and the sum of the hair is exposed, then we say tefach v'yisha erva. Now, many make the mistake to say tefach v'yisha erva means that if you have a tefach from the front of the hairline back, that's fine. But Moshe says that's not the case. Moshe Feinstein says that a tefach v'yisha erva is the entirety of the hair that's exposed. That means they have to look at the square area of the hair. Not only is it from the hairline back, but it's to the sides. And you have to take all of that into consideration for the tabach, which means that you can have very little hair exposed. So again, Moshe points out that this is a mistake that people make about tefach b'yisha erva. Beyond that, there is a question of whether it should even apply to all of the arayot, or is it unique to this issue of kriyat shema. Lastly, with regards to hair, seir b'yisha is considered to be an erva, and if a woman's hair is uncovered, one may not say kriyat shema opposite a woman whose hair is uncovered. Now that is not only true of kriyat shema, it's true of all brachot and of learning Torah. When it arrives, it's being articulated, it's being spoken. In all these cases, there's a problem of learning, having, making brachot, or saying kriyachma opposite a woman whose hair should have been covered. A married woman in the Ashkenazi circles who should have her hair covered. If she doesn't have her hair covered, then it's, one is precluded from saying a bracha, kriyachma, or learning Torah opposite that woman. The Orach HaShulchan is Melamed Schut in our times, I mean that he's talking back in late 1800s, early 1900s, that it became so acceptable for women not to cover their hair, that maybe Seir Beisha Erva does not apply anymore with regards to the dinner Kriyachma. He does not give permission. Many people misquote the Archa He doesn't say that women do not have to cover their hair anymore. And he does not say that Seir Beisha Erva 
does not apply anymore. The only thing he says is that by Kriyachma, since Kriyachma has to do with focus and Yishuvadat, maybe a woman's hair being exposed is not an issue anymore. Now, why should that be so? We have Erva. Erva is objective and inherent and problematic. Why should it be the practice of the women and what they cover, they don't cover, should make a difference? The answer is that by hair, it might be different than other Arayot. Other areas of the women which are Arayot are considered to be Arayot no matter what, because they are inherently alluring and they have that nature to them. On the other hand, hair is considered to be an erva because of the way it's learned from the Torah. Here the Gemara brings a pasuk. In other places, like in the Gemara and Sotah, the Gemara notes that it's because by Sotah it says that the coin uncovers the woman's hair by the Sotah. And from there we learn that the woman's hair should have been covered, or is normally covered. And from that we know that women cover their hair. So the covering of one's hair has to do with the societal norm, at least according to the Gemara. Normal hair is normally covered, and then you uncover it. So there, based on that, the Rosh wants to mulamid that today, if women don't have their hair covered, that one may then be able to say Kriyachma. Again, he says this is completely bidiavit. He does not justify women who do not cover their hair, and does not say that Seir Bisha is not an erva anymore. He simply says in that small, narrow situation, that maybe we could say Kriyachma when women's hair is uncovered. This does have nafkaminot in uh, shul, in shuls that have mechitza, if the mechitza is not high enough, and women come to shul with their hair uncovered, it may be problematic in terms of davening, in terms of saying kriyachma, that women's hair is visible from the other side of the mechitza, that's an erva, and it's problematic for davening. So the mechitza have to be high enough in order to cover that. Beyond that, they also have to be in a situation where you can't see through them. If you can see through the mechitza, and the woman's hair is uncovered, you run into the same problem. Because we're going to see in tomorrow's daf, that an erva bashishit, erva behind glass, is still classified as erva. So that would be a problem. So even though you might believe that mechitza is of sufficient height or is dividing between men and women, it may not be enough because of the way women come dressed to shul. If they come dressed inappropriately to shul, and that's whether their hair is uncovered, whether their legs are exposed, that could cause a problem in terms of davening and kriyachma. And so therefore, if the women are not dressed appropriately, it might require that the mechitza either be higher or not be transparent, because it will cause a problem in terms of saying Kriyat Shema. In the situations one can try their best should turn their whole body away from the woman. If it's an impossible situation, difficult situation at a table, they may be able to turn their head away in order to take care of this situation. But this applies even to one's wife. I mean, this exposure, Serbi Sha'erva, applies even to his one's wife, not just to other women. And therefore, when it comes to Kriyat Shema, davening, or learning Torah, one's wife's hair is exposed or any of the other erva are exposed, it is problematic in these situations. The person needs to turn away in order to learn, say a bracha, or say Kriyachma. I'm Rabbi Hanina. I need Rabbi Shetalat Filav. I saw Rabbi hang up his tefillin on a peg on the wall. How could he do that? Anybody who hangs up their tefillin, his life should be hung. Those that expound on the essential psukim, Rashi says, Basically, it means these people that are homiletical exegetes say, Your life will be hanging opposite you, meaning that hanging in balance, you won't know whether you're going to live or not. This is someone who hangs up his tefillin. If you treat the tefillin in such a disgraceful manner, by hanging them, your life will also be in the balance in hanging. So Gemara says, First answer to the Gemara is, depends how you hang them. If you hang them by the Ritzuot, that is, 
a disgraceful way to do it because the bayit, which is the ikar, is hanging down from the ritzuot. Oh, and if you put the bayit on the peg and the ritzuot hang down, that'll be fine. The other opinion, this is the aloha, is you cannot hang it whether it's from the ritzuot or from the bayit itself. Asur. He put it in its bag. It was in its bag and he hung the bag up. So, what's the chiddush then? That hanging up the bag is fine. I would have thought it might need placement like a Sefer Torah to be laid down, that it's okay. Once it's in its case, the tefillin, you can hang them up on a peg, and that is not problematic. So his davening Shemana and I saw him burp or belch, yawn, nitatesh, sneeze. This is at least according to Rashi. Some of the other Rishonim have other interpretations, when we come to the conclusion of the Gemara, you'll see the differential between them, and that differentiation should apply to no matter how you read these words. Virak, and he spit. And he used to use his baguette to rub out. If he found a louse that was climbing on his body to take it out, he used to use his baguette to rub it off. If his talit fell off in the middle of davening, he would not put it back on, because that would be interruption in the middle of When he used to yawn, he used to place his hand over his mouth. When he yawned, he covered his mouth, so his mouth was open, it would not be exposed. It was an Indian of Tzniyut, to cover up one's mouth. It's both an Indian of Tzniyut, as well as hygiene. Now, we have the girsa this way. Tosavot brings an alternative girsa from the Rach that combines the last two items. That he fixed his talit if it fell off a little bit. If it was just a little fixing, he used to do it during Shemona Esrei. But if it fell off completely or entirely, then he wouldn't fix it during Shemon Esri. So the Rach has it being one item, not two separate items. Suppose the Rashu has it as two separate items. How could Rebbe do this? Someone who raises his voice when he's diving Shemon Esri. He's a person who doesn't have real faith in Hashem because he believes Hashem can't hear him unless he raises his voice. Someone who really raises his voice screams in his Tefillah. He's like the false prophets. Because by Eliyahu and Kara Carmel says over there that the Nevi'a Shekhar, he tells him to scream out louder so that the Baal can hear them. So screaming out is an implication of someone who thinks that God can't hear unless they speak loudly. If he burps or sneezes, that is someone who is haughty. You do such a thing in the middle of davening. Someone who sneezes, someone who burps or yawns during his tefillah, that's someone who is haughty. Mitatesh, someone who sneezes bitvilato siman ra. That is a bad omen for him. Now, Omrim, we have it here in the placement of the Brayta, which is nikashu muhuar. It means this person is disgusting of a lower class. Rashi and some of the Rishonim move the Yeshomrim back to the Megaheko Beheik. That if one yawns or burps during davening, the first thing is Migase Ruach is Hwadi. Omrim, nikashu muhuar. This is a disgusting person. So they move it back to the previous statement in the Brayta. Meantime, we have here a stira. We have a problem. The Brayta says it's a problem too. Megahek, pihek, and mitatesh. And the last thing is a rak filato. Someone who spits in his during Shemun Esri. Kilu rak The Zevi spit before the king. So you have all these items that Rabbi did in during his Shemun Esri. And here we have a Brayta that explicitly says that all of them are problematic. So the is going to go through them one by one. Megahek, pihek. When it comes to yawning and burping... Low kasha, that's not a question. Depends whether it's voluntary or an involuntary action. And that will be important. No matter what you say gihek and pihek are, the basic difference between them will be whether it's an involuntary action, something that happens by itself in the body. In that case, it's not problematic. But if something that is done voluntarily by the individual and that he can engender such a thing to happen, 
then that would be problematic during Shmon Esrei. So that'll be the key difference here. What about sneezing? Rabbi sneezed, then it was fine in the Shmon Esrei. And here we're saying sneezing is a bad omen. That's not a problem. Depends where you're sneezing from. You're sneezing from your mouth. That's okay. That's an involuntary action. Happens during Shmon Esrei. That's fine. On the other hand, is to flatulate, to pass gas. Down below, that is considered to be unacceptable during Shmanesra. I was swallowed this, I had this issue at the Bay Medjur of Amnuna, but and it weighted to me like the rest of my learning. I mean, this is precious to me like everything else that I've learned. Someone who sneezes during Shmanesra, that is a good omen. Just like the sneezing below gives him some relief. The Siman that above, they're also giving him relief or the benefit that comes about from such a sneeze. So therefore, he who sneezed a lot saw this as being something positive. El Raka Rakasha, what about spitting? So Raka Rak Namilo Kasha, spitting is also not a question. F Shark the Rebuda. Fans if you do it like Rebuda, Dhamma Rebuda, Yao made bit filab and his damain lo rokmabli obitalito. If he has saliva or a spittle that comes out during davening, he should go and put it into his beget. If he has a beautiful new cloak and he doesn't want to put it into that, he can put it into his turban or his head covering. Ravina was standing behind Ravashi and his diamond rope. He had some sort of spittle slime in his mouth. He turned behind him and let it go. Don't you hold of that position of Rabbi Yehuda that you can't spit in the middle of Shemones, so you have to put it into some sort of baguette so it's not considered to be offensive. I am squeamish. Finicky, I am a mifunak, and therefore, if I kept it in my bag, I'd be so disgusted that I wouldn't be able to continue in davening. So I did this in order to relieve myself so that I could continue in davening, otherwise I wouldn't have been able to continue. The Gemara is going back to discuss this other part of the Braita. As long as he can concentrate by doing it silently. If he's unable to concentrate when he does it silently, then it's mutar to raise his voice. He's not raising his voice because he thinks Hashem can't hear. He's raising his voice in order to facilitate better concentration. That's why he's diving alone. But if he's in a public situation, he's a place in shul, then he can't do that because he's going to cause problems for the tzibur. Now, this happens to be a very sensitive and difficult issue which is that the Gemara early on learned from Tefillat Chana how one is supposed to daven. They're supposed to have their lips moving, expressing, articulating the words that they can hear themselves, but nobody else can hear it. Over here, the Gemara says there's a problem of davening out loud because it affects other people. The Mishnah Bura, in dealing with the Tefillot of Rosh Hashanah, says that when it came to the Tefillot Hashanah of the rest of the year, they did not have Sidurim. Not everybody had Sidurim, and they davened Baal Peh, by heart. And therefore, if someone davened out loud, they could confuse... Or they could cause problems for someone who is davening Baal Peh. On the other hand, on Rosh Hashanah, where everybody had Sidurim for the Yamim Noraim, over there there's no problem of davening out loud because it will not cause confusion because everybody has a Siddur. And that would seem to be what's deriving from this Gemara over here. The Mitra Bitsibura is because the people are davening Baal Peh. And that will cause them difficulty in focusing or concentrating. And therefore he has to do it silently. But today, where everybody has Sidurim, it would seem from that Mishnah Bura that this would not be an issue and would not be a consideration. Now, there are always people on both sides of this situation because some people have find it easier to concentrate when they daven loudly or out loud and others find it a disturbance to their tefillah. 
So one has to come to a balance between these, and even if they do daven out loud, they should do it in such a manner that does not disturb others. Rabbi Abba Abakam Mishtamid Mined Rabbi Yehuda. Abba was trying to avoid his Rebbe Rabbi Yehuda. Abba Kabbai Lamesek Dairis Israel. Rabbi Abba wanted to make Aliyah from Bavel and go to Eretz Israel, but he knew that his Rebbe Rabbi Yehuda objected. Dam Rabbi Yehuda. Anybody who makes Aliyah from Bavel to Eretz Yisrael violates an Asay, Shinemar, Bavelu Yuvau, because you will be taken into Galut to Bavel after the Chorban Bayit Rishon, Veshama Iyu, and there you must remain, Adyom Pukti Otam Nehum Hashem, until I redeem you and bring you back. Amar Izel, Eshma Mine Milta, Mibet Vado, Vahadar Api. says, before I leave Eretz Yisrael, I'm going to go by the Beit Medrash to the Academy. I'll stand outside, and then I'll go up there to Israel. So he stood outside, so Rabbi Yehuda couldn't see him, but he could hear what was going on. Atana was presenting before Rabbi Yehuda. Tani kamei de Rabbi Yehuda, hayomei b'tfilah v'nitatish. Person is standing and davening, and then he, flatulates, he passes gas. Mamtid ad she'yichle ha-ruach, or ad she'yichle ha-reyach. He waits until the gas passes, or the smell passes, v'chuzer mitfilah, and then he continues to daven. Ikedamre, hayomei b'tfilah v'bikesh l'itatish. He's standing there davening, in the middle of davening, he needs to pass gas. Marchik l'acharav d'alad amot. He moves back for amot. Umitatesh, and then he releases the gas. Umamtina chilecha ruach or reach, and then he waits until it dissipates. Chuzer, and then he goes back, umitpala, and begins davening again. Vomer. Before he goes back and daven, since he's already interrupted, he can also add in this tefillah. Ribono shalolam. Yitzartanu nikavim nikavim chaludim chaludim. You made us out of holes and orifices. Kaluivi adula fenecha is well known to you. Cherpatenu klimatenu, our shame, our disgrace. Bechayenu in our lifetime. Ubachritenu rimavetolila, and our end is worms and maggots and to be rotten. So therefore, he's just giving an indication that the fact that he had this human experience of having to pass gas, even though he's standing before God, he says, God, you know that we're just human and that we are so fragile and there is nothing to us. You made us in this way. This is our biological makeup. And therefore, he tries to, in some way, excuse himself for that behavior. And then, he continues davening for where he left off. Had I just come to hear this memra, it would have been worthwhile just to hear this piece of Torah. He's laying down in his bed naked, and his talit is there, but he doesn't want to stick his head out because of the cold. He places his clothing or the sheet around his neck, tightens it there, and reads Kriyachma. That he has to hold it tight below his heart. What about the Tanakama? Tanakama, there hasn't been anything mafsik between the heart and the erva below, which we'll see. Again, in tomorrow's daf is problematic. He thinks that it's fine. You don't have to separate between them. If a person's walking in an area that is inappropriate for davening, whether because of smell or what's contained there, you put your hand over your mouth and you say Kriyachma. This, this is back to Rav Hunav. Had I heard this from Yochanan directly, I would not listen to him. Some have the memory like this. Walk in these places that are not ra'ui for davening. Cover over your mouth and you say Kriyachma. Chista says back to Rav Hunan. Levi said it to me directly, I would not listen to it. Did Rav Huna really say it's okay to cover your mouth and then go ahead and say may not stay stationary in a place where there is some problem, either with smell or what is contained there. It's a place that's inappropriate for learning or davening. Because he can't stand there without having thoughts of Torah. 
And therefore, in this location, it's inappropriate, so you should move on. So when it says, Lokash, that we can reconcile in Rav Huna, Kan Ba'omed, Kan depends on the situation. In a situation where he's passing through, then he covers his mouth and he says, Kriyachma, that's fine. Over there, it's Omed. He's stationary in the Makom Metinofet. There he shouldn't stay because the Hiru Torah will be problematic. What about Rabbi Yochanan? Did he really say that you just cover your mouth and say it? Persons can think about Torah anywhere except in the bathhouse and in the bathroom. Two places where it would be inappropriate. So why can't he talk about Torah there? He can just cover his mouth or do the same thing he did with Kriyachma. If you want to answer the same way we did before, that one place He's standing, one place he's walking, any. Can you really say that? Baha, Rabbi Yaboa, Bakazu, Batrade, Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yaboa was following behind Rabbi Yochanan, Kari Kari Kriyachma. He was reading Kriyachma, Kiyamata, Mivota, Mitunafot, Ishtik. When he came to a place that was disgusting, a place that he couldn't say Kriyachma, he stopped. Samalei, the Rabbi Yochanan, Naikanad there. When he cleared through that place and he wanted to continue Kriyachma, he says, Where do I go back to? Do I go back to the beginning of Kriyachma or to where I stopped off? If there was enough time elapsed, that you could have said the whole thing, then that's considered a half-sake and you have to start over again. If not, then you can continue from where you left off. So based on that, it sounds like Rabbi Yochanan with Rabbi Abahu asked him a question about stopping to say Kriyachma in that location, even though he is Mahalech. He says back to Rabbi severely. I don't hold what you did. And that's for two reasons I don't hold of that. Number one is you're Mahalech. You're walking, you can just cover your mouth and you can say Kriyachma. And on top of that, I don't believe, even if you could finish the entire thing, I think you can go back. But Ludidach, according to you, the Svirlach, Im Kula, who thinks that if you waited the amount of time it takes to complete it, then Chosel the Rosh, then I'm giving you an answer. So Biochanan says, I'm giving you an answer about the Shitatcha. Shitatcha, which number one, you have to stop when we're Hali through this Makomitinofeta. Number two, where if there was enough time elapsed to complete the entire Kriyachma, they didn't go back to the beginning. The Yishitatcha, I'm giving you an answer. The Shitati, I don't need either of those. Number one, if you're walking through Makomitinofeta, you can just cover your mouth and continue saying Kriyachma. And number two is, I think you can do it over the whole day. And that's based on a Gemara in Rosh Hashanah. Rabbi Yochanan says, you can blow the shofar, the teshat kiyot you need, over the entire day. Tanya converted to Rav Huna. Tanya converted to Rav Chista. We have a bride that supports Rav Huna's position, and we have a bride that supports Rav Chista's position. Tanya converted to Rav Huna. We have a bride that supports Rav Huna's position. Amalek, mevotam etunafot, mevdiach yado apiv, v'ikra kriyachma. He walks through these places, he covers his mouth, and he says kriyachma, exactly the way Rav Huna quoted Rav Yochanan. Tanya converted to Rav Chista. We have a bride that supports Rav Chista's position. Amalek, mevotam etunafot, lo ikra kriyachma. He may not read Kriyachma in those locations, not only should he not start there, but if he has already started, he has to stop. If he doesn't stop, what do we say about that? I gave them statutes that were no good, and laws that they will not live by. I mean, he's doing something inappropriate. Whoa, to those that draw the string of iniquity with cords of vanity. As Rashi points out, these cords of vanity are going to split. They don't hold up. So too over here, this sin, this saying of Kriyachma is not going to hold up. It's going to fall apart. Tosvot says, me, even worse, For no reason he's causing himself a sin. Here he's trying to do a mitzvah and he continues to read. And instead it turns out to be a Aveira. And that's like Chevle Yashav. Those things that are in vain. Cords that are in vain. So to hear the speaking of Kriyachma is a sin because he's speaking in vain. We learn from this. He despised the word of Hashem. He did something. He said the Kriyachma in a place that he shouldn't say it. If he stops for the Makomet, what's his reward? With this you will extend your life. Meaning if you do it properly and pour it proper kavod 
to the word of Hashem, then tarichu yamim, then you will lengthen your days with that. Okay, we're going to stop over here.